everybody and welcome to recovery coach university radio happy thursday hope everybody's staying warm and dry and safe and i get to say good morning to my partner who is actually in the room with me today good morning Lori. good morning keith it is good to see you here good to see you what a what a week it's been it has been a crazy week crazy good but like really busy. And I felt it when the alarm went off this morning and I hit the snooze probably four times. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say anything, but you you look a little sleepy. (laughs) I am. I am. Having been away all of last week at the conference that I was at and then coming home and then two days in the training room with you with our peer supervisors. And then yesterday with uh, our professional learning collaborative, I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, so highlights from this week for me, and, and I think for you too, uh, we had a fabulous peer supervision training class this week, last of the year. Actually, it's Recovery Coach University's last training of the, of the year, year Yeah, was this week, and what a great way to go out um, with such a devoted, um, just a wonderful group of folks who are, as we say, the guardians of the peer movement. Right. No pressure. Those who are actually supervising the peer recovery coaches and advocates um, and and doing a phenomenal job and their dedication and being there this week just just proves that. Um, and then we had a, even though there was a snowstorm yesterday, <laughs> we still had our peer learning collaborative, um, which we do every third Wednesday of the month at 4.30 at the core center for anybody who has gone through the training to become a peer or a peer recovery coach. Um, it's just a place to come and get supported and network with peers from across the area and bring your challenges, your concerns, your um, your success stories, and just get some added support. So we had about, I don't know, how many would you say showed up last night? At least 15 or... Yeah, at the most. It was a small group, yeah. but it was wonderful. It was a great conversation. It was great. We yeah. did one one circle and had some great cases that were presented, and we went into, as we often do, into our ad lib um, uh, role play, yeah. you know, played out some scenarios, and uh, hopefully some folks felt um, that they got something out of that, got some support out of yeah. that. So that yeah. was fun. It was. It was. The whole week was fun. Uh, the, the folks that we worked with Monday and Tuesday, th- that group astounds me because it's simply because of the newness of this whole peer recovery coach movement and uh, them uh, choosing to step up into roles of leadership. It is not easy when we're not even exactly sure what we're doing here yet. No, they're the trailblazers. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. are the trailblazers. They're taking some risks and presenting their agencies with some new ways of approaching treatment and recovery, challenging some antiquated views on treatment, and that is not an easy conversation to have. No. So kudos to them. We say this field is not for the faint of heart, right. and, and, and neither is it for the supervisors who have um, taken on the challenge of, of providing supervision for the for the new peers and recovery coaches yeah. who are doing incredible work. Yep. No, it was great. It's a great, great way to finish the year from a who's in our training room standpoint. 
So let's move forward and uh, talk with our guests today. So as a result of our uh, work as uh, trainers in the, uh, in the central and western New York area, we had the opportunity, I'm losing a little track of time, a year ago, maybe a little longer. Yeah, I think it was um, June, July. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe not that long to, uh, to meet our guest, Sean, who I'll uh, introduce, uh, who actually went through uh, the Recovery Coach Academy training and ethics and uh, is uh, out there uh, doing his thing, among a variety of other things, uh, operating as a peer recovery coach. So I had the opportunity to uh, take advantage of one of Sean's projects a few months ago when uh, he uh, came into town and invited me to be a guest on his podcast. And so Turnabout is Fair Play, and we're inviting Sean to be with us today to talk about all that he is doing. So let me do a quick introduction. Sean Cudahy has turned his heroin use disorder into a business that helps others succeed. Sean is the sole proprietor of a company called Room 9, which was his room number at his long-term substance use treatment facility. After losing his brother and sister at a young age and eventually going through a painful divorce, Sean got lost in, the wor- in a world plagued by substance use and mental health battles. As he managed to find the strength and courage to find his way out, he realized that his only longing in the world was to help others do the same. Sean has, become, uh, has been featured and interviewed in Podcast Business Journal and was also awarded an $11,000 grant from the New York State Education Department, which I'm sure he'll talk more about. Sean's motto has always been, if you better yourself, you better the world. So he decided to spend the rest of his life sharing that with the masses. Uh, Please join Laurie and I in welcoming the founder and creative force behind Room 9, Sean Cudahy. Awesome, thank you for having me, guys. Good morning. It's funny, that sounds a lot better than what I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> On most days, right? Oh, yeah, right, absolutely, right. yes. Right. I, I feel the same way. When people introduce me and that, something like that gets read, I think, wow, is that really me? That, that sounds really good. <laughs> it makes me sound almost <laughs> successful. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being here and, uh, and traveling in this morning on this cold winter morning from Buffalo. So we tend to start these conversations with our guests uh, with a bit of a story, inviting people to tell their story. Now, sometimes that's a recovery story. Sometimes that's just a, a story of how you got here, how you do what you do. And we always leave that up to our guests to decide what story you want to tell. But fill our listeners in a little bit on, on who Sean Cuddy he is and maybe a little bit of how he came to be the proprietor of Room 9. Yeah, so I mean, I guess how I got here was recovery. I mean, essentially, I kind of, I always kind of talk about one of my favorite blogs I wrote was called My Paradoxical Addiction. And I always talked about all these messed up things I did throughout my addiction. I look back at them and I had to go through shame and guilt and really learn from those things and deal with them. But every time I think about those, it became a paradox because I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through what I went through, if I didn't sit in jail, if I didn't steal from my girlfriend's teenagers to not be dope sick. And really going through those really was what made me who I am today. And so it really became this paradox for me to weigh up. And it really made me look at bad situations as um, not necessarily bad anymore. They're just lessons. And if you learn from them, something that seems so meaningless 
can actually, you can give it meaning. Right. Whether you brought it on yourself, whether somebody did it to you, it's something that can be beautiful and really help you grow as an individual. So as I kind of realized this throughout probably the last, you know, five or six years of my life, I just started implementing that. And that's really a kind of room nine, obviously, like you said, Keith, um, it was my room number, my long-term treatment facility in Sanborn, New York. And I was originally started it with my roommate there because every night we'd get, go, you know, have to be in our rooms at a certain time. And we would talk about just life and the problems and the things that we learned throughout the day and how we're going to get over, overcome things. And I was like, we should start a podcast. And literally, you know, I recorded two, my first two episodes were recorded out on a pass and from when I was still in my long-term treatment facility. So literally, I started it, you know, right when I was getting out and it's kind of continuing on and it kind of just was a good grassroots growth so far. And it's been pretty awesome to just sit back and obviously put some hard work in, but just watch it unfold. It's really awesome. That is really cool. So sitting there while still in treatment, early mm-hmm. in recovery, was this podcast idea something that had been in your head from some other time in your life or all of a sudden it just showed up that day and thought, oh, let's start talking about what we're doing here? I've always I've always loved podcasts and I actually had the audio interface still. For some reason, that's the only thing I didn't pawn <laughs> in my uh, in my use. Interesting. Yeah, it's the only thing I did not pawn. I pawned everything else and I still had that. So I borrowed a couple cheap uh, microphones from my good friend when I was out on a pass and just started recording. I think the first episode, which I sometimes want to take off because of how terrible it sounds, uh, was in my parents' garage. I had a fire going with my roommate out on the pass. That's really cool. That is really cool. So as a person in recovery, you know that one of the uh, concepts near and dear to our heart is multiple pathways of recovery. So share a little bit, if you're comfortable, about your pathway or pathways that seem to work for you and move you forward in, in your recovery. Yeah, so I'm, I know Keith we're, and Lori, we're all on the, kind of the same page as far as what is recovery. And that, to me, has always been if you are bettering yourself and you stop tearing your life apart by using anything, I mean, to me, that's recovery. And for me, that's all what it's about. I mean, to this day, I have stayed completely abstinent with the exception of nicotine and caffeine and sugar. Um, I have not used any other drugs, but I don't ever have seen an issue with that if plenty of people have been able to take many different ways. And so I've never just strictly have done the abstinencing. AA and 12-step programs were never my cup of tea. Right. I mean, I've seen them work miracles in people's lives, but they right. were never, never for me. And so I kind of just have really... I developed, I've always said room nine in my business is my recovery right? because literally every day I get up and I have to do a social post and I have to network and it reminds me of where I've come from every single day. And it's something I'm putting, you know, anywhere from five to 12 hours in a day. Right. And it's just, I mean, that's my recovery. And so I, that's why I really was like, it's a win-win Yeah. because not only am I constantly working on my recovery, I can use that and help other people connect and maybe just realize certain things. And that was kind of my main goal. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what, how I've looked at recovery anyway for myself. That's awesome. So awesome. how many podcasts do you think you've done to date? To date, I have done, I believe, 59 episodes. 59 yep. episodes. I mean, your commitment and dedication to this is amazing, which absolutely must parallel your recovery. 
And so I'm really curious about, of those 59 episodes, what one or two stand out as being maybe the most insightful, eye-opening, had the most impact, maybe the most feedback from others? What stands out in your mind? I would say the the ones at least that maybe aren't my favorite, but are I've gotten the most feedback from and people have really loved are the ones where I've sat down and had conversations with my significant other, my mom. I got a couple episodes with my sister. Mm. And people, I think, just really loved being able to get into that conversation. And my kind of my motto going through with the podcast is really just my favorite compliment was, I love your podcast. It felt like I was having coffee with you and your guests. And I really take a laid back kind of approach to it. And so people really feel like they're in the room with you when they're listening and feel like, wow, I'm just a part of this conversation. So I would definitely say that's the best feedback I've gotten from my mom and sister. So so when you were interviewing your mom and sister, having a conversation, maybe over coffee, did you rehearse that at all? Did it Was there some risk in having those conversations on air, knowing that they were going to be broadcast to the world? What was that dynamic like? Um, I don't, I don't do too much rehearsing. I'll send my, my guests, uh, I mean, you can ask Keith. I didn't, I didn't give him too much to go on. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have read it anyway. <laughs> no, probably not. But no, I don't, I don't do too much of that. I, I really, I love hosting podcasts cause it's like, and you guys know from doing this, it's, it's an art form. It really is. And you have to guide a conversation and, but yet let it go as it pleases. You can't really force anything. And I just love, I love that part of it. That's probably my favorite thing about podcasting is that art form of it mm-hmm. and letting a conversation just go. And when you don't force things, I find that that's when the most beautiful things are said mm-hmm. and come to life. And, and obviously I, I wouldn't have my uh, mom and sister on there if they're going to be crazy confrontational anyway. <laughs> so it was very, it, it was very awesome. I mean, to hear my sister talk about how we've been rebuilding trust and my mom, just how scared she was in the beginning and how much she's loved this has watched me grow and how much that has really helped her grow and how much they've learned. And I think it's really awesome Mm -hmm. to share that with the world. Were there any surprises for you? No, I don't think so. Uh No, there, there weren't any surprises. I, uh, I'm very close to them and I think I kind of knew what it was going to be like in the end. You know, I'm sitting here thinking it is such, um, you said how many episodes? I think about 59, yeah. I, so I found myself thinking as you were talking about doing, doing these podcasts with your family, what an awesome family history and now legacy, because that, that's there forever, right? Those conversations mm-hmm. with your mom and your sister and to be able to pass that on maybe to the next generation of, of who you are, your journey, your family's journey. I just, I don't know why that popped into my head. I yeah. think sometimes, you know, the, the older generation passes away and all the, the, the next generation says, oh, I wished I would have talked with them or wish I would have videotaped them and gotten some it. stories. Right. Yeah, I think that's really the coolest thing about it. I mean, another thing I really love about podcasts is somebody can be doing laundry or driving or whatever it is, and have this on in the background and be like, oh, wow, I really struggled with that too. And really just identify with it and connect with it. And you never know, anything can just spark that one thought-provoking That's thing right. and you know, spark change. So on that, one of our very regular listeners, a wonderful person by the name of Emily, who is uh, with us in Facebook Live today, uh, just shared a few minutes ago, 
Uh, I'm currently transporting a recovery to inpatient. Good day to tune in. Oh, that's, oh, that's so awesome. awesome. Yeah. Right? So thinking about those 59 podcasts, is there one that stands out for you that would be especially positive for somebody who is in the car with Emily heading off to kind of the, you know, that what can be kind of scary, the idea of going and making a change, you know, making, taking step one um, towards making, you know, what is one of the more significant changes in someone's life, a change towards recovery. Um, Is there anything that stands out for you in, in a podcast that you've done in the past that would be something somebody like that might learn something from? You know, I have a I have a couple solo episodes which I hate doing when I'm I'm doing them just alone. I don't know why. Just to hear my voice by itself the whole time is like ah, oh, almost seems kind of egocentric. But those are really I think the one episodes where I just kind of unleashed a lot of what I was going through. Mm-hmm. You know, pre rehab, during rehab, and then after. I mean, being in that like I can still feel that feeling in my gut that drive to rehab and feeling like that there's no control anymore and I have to kind of do whatever I'm told to do in a sense and a little above step up above jail but and I just remember it was a it was a battle it was a conversation in my head every day that if I don't take care of what I need to take care of now I'm going to be constantly back and constantly back and I'm going to have to keep going until I learn what I have to take care of and I, cause I just seen people were so impatient. I got to get out of here. I got to do this. I got bills to pay. I got this. And that was the biggest thing for me was, I mean, it was literally at least two, three times a day, relax, be patient, learn what you need to now. So then you can go on because yeah. really when you think of time and I think of the last six months of my life, I mean, it's like a snap of a fingers. And really, if you spend your time and be patient where you're at now, it flies by at the end of it. When you look back, wow, that went really quick. Even my, you know, couple months in jail, I look back at at the end of it, it's like, oh, that went fairly quickly, actually. And there's absolutely nothing or no freedom there. Right, right. Yeah, I've heard others describe that as, you know, reaching that point of surrender almost, mm-hmm. um, accepting that I've made this decision. And a whole lot leads up to making the decision to enter into the world of recovery. And, and we know that there, you know, that's not easy. Those, especially those first few days can be really difficult. I've heard some describe that as um, being able to simply surrender. Nothing simple about it. But surrender even to the discomfort. Surrender to the possibility of change. And that's what's gotten them through that. Um, and I like this idea of kind of suspending all sense of time. Because mm-hmm. when we let our brains kick in and take over, you know, time becomes the enemy. All of a sudden, everything in our life is a priority, right? Mm-hmm. Except the priority at hand, which is it's time to make a major change in my life. And not to take a, well, I should say to take a line from your co-host over there change is difficult no matter what we're trying to do whether it's any any habit and i've always stole that line from keith it's so because true it is it really is and for some reason you know keith says it all the time and why do we make such a big deal out of people who struggle to change when they are in recovery 
you know, nobody yells at somebody because they slipped up and had a candy bar when they're trying to lose weight. And I think that's a really important lesson. I've learned a lot from this man. He's pretty wise. People should listen to him every He's once okay. in a while. <laughs> but yeah, it's something. Some I just... people would say I just like hearing myself talk. That could be. <laughs> so that was always something that kind of yeah. stuck with me too. Like change is difficult. And I think we have to really learn to be patient and accepting of that. And, and Emily, do feel free um, if you're, uh, if your person who's driving with you has any questions for any of us or for Sean or anybody who's listening, uh, we would love to be partners with you on that drive, which I know can be a challenging yeah. one. And uh, uh, on that, if you, uh, you are listening to Recovery Coach University Radio on WAYOLP Rochester, uh, and you are part of a conversation this morning with Sean Cudahy, the uh, creative founder and creative force behind Room 9. And uh, as always, you can weigh in a couple of different ways. You can call or text us at 585-203-9296. Uh, you can email us at rcu at wayofm.org. Or, uh, as I already mentioned, we, as always, are up on Facebook Live. And if you find your way to Recovery Coach University on Facebook, you can join us there. Uh, one of our uh, friends on Facebook Live, Brenda, who is almost always with us, thank you, Brenda, uh, just shared, uh, I am working in the Orleans County Jail as a nurse and trying to listen and be there for others. Having a loved one going through substance use disorder and myself at one point, it's a good thing, I think, to have people around listening. This man and his family's journey, talking about you, Sean, is a true testimony. It is enlightening to know what others are dealing with and impacting their lives. You're doing a great job, so inspiring to others every day. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Thank you. So I'm curious about who are, just in general, of those 50-some-odd podcast episodes, who have been some of your guests? Uh, who do you really enjoy sitting down and talking to? And maybe not a specific who, but what people are doing, where in the community they are. Is it all related to substance use disorder? Give us an idea of, of if we tuned in, who we'd be hearing on the other end of the microphone. Yeah, well, I kind of, you know, looking at recovery and working on oneself and, and one's own individuality, I found using recovery and, you know, mental health as a reason, well, it's personal development. I have to look at my character, I have to look at who I am and work on myself. So it's really just personal development. So there's a lot of that intertwined with it. Um, just the things, like I said, I kind of just re recorded my recovery and I'm just broadcasting it to whoever wants to listen. And a lot of that is digging into my character traits and my character flaws and just really talking about them. I, I talk with a lot of people in recovery. Um, I like them to get their story out. It's been a struggle of late. I don't know why. A lot of cancellations and mm. all that. But I also talk with a lot of people throughout treatment providers. Um, the CEO of Horizon Health, I've had conversations with. Evergreen Health, I've had the CEO, I've had conversations with. I actually have the district attorney coming on in the beginning of January, John Flynn, in western New York there in Buffalo, which is kind of gonna, which is going to be pretty cool. So it really is a very vast, eclectic kind of um, guest list that I have. So I really enjoy that because I get all sorts of, you know, points of views of, right. from treatment providers to the people who are using their services. And yeah. I think that's awesome. And I've always kind of visioned myself as becoming that bridge 
of communication between the two because being on both sides, I've seen a lot of people in treatment like, why can't they just do it this way or do it that? And a lot of people just assume that treatment providers can do whatever they want with nobody looking over them and, you know, why aren't they doing it this way? And I really have found myself being this communicative tool right. in between the people who use the services and the people who are serving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super important. I recently started a project with some companies called Know Our Leaders Project, and it's basically podcast episodes. But what I wanted to do was show the, the employees, kind of highlight who they are, what they do, you know, how they sacrifice to serve the community and the people who use their services. And I thought that would give the people who use the services a chance to really get to know who's who these people are. Right. And, I, you know, I did some with Horizon Health. I'm currently working with Spectrum Health and Human Services, doing collaboration episodes with them and really just allowing them to just, you know, these people are human beings who struggle, who put that aside every day to come in and help other people who are struggling. And I really just have loved to see the whole sphere of it. Yeah. And I really, it's struggled to look at anybody who's just collecting a paycheck in this industry. And everybody is just really awesome, accepting, forgiving, and really just there to help each uh, each other. Yeah. I think that's awesome to see yeah. because there's so much crap on the television that's negative and it's awesome to see that positivity. Well, and it's so wonderful because, you know, there's a lot of cynicism out there. There is, yeah. And I think for folks who are considering going into, you know, um, treatment with any of these agencies, they're their fear or their concerns are, but those are people that are not really going to care about me. And maybe because they've had some experiences in the past that have proven that mm -hmm. to be true. Um, I think what you're doing is such a wonderful opportunity to shine the light on some of these amazing people who really are in it um, to help others and to, and to hear their stories and how they got into the work. And um, I just think that's uh, terrific. Uh, and I hope that people are listening who are contemplating maybe making the choice to go and get some treatment um, from some of those agencies and hear firsthand from the folks who are delivering that level of care and compassion. But my curiosity is, so there are bazillions of choices of podcasts today. It's like there the is. most popular <laughs> you know, medium um, that people are receiving their their knowledge and their stories and their um, feeding their hobbies and so how do you stand out as Room Nine podcast given the total cacophony of <laughs> there is a ton of them <laughs> a ton of choices what what attracts somebody to yours over say an, you know another one that's a great question actually. I have found the podcasts I've listened to, especially ones that revolve around recovery and mental health, uh, have seemed so scripted to me. And that's why I kind of made a, a stand with myself, agreement with myself, that going into these, I would never over-prepare because it's so easy to over-prepare and sit there and sound like you read, like people know when you're reading off a piece of paper. And for me, I didn't want any of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what I pride myself on is I'm just... This is authentic, genuine, real me just talking and doing what I can do to share with what I'm going through and hope people just kind of can connect and identify with that. And that's always what I've pride myself on in my show, in my business in general, is 
this is it. This is me. This is what you're going to get. Here are my flaws. Here yeah. are my strengths. You know, and if you can get something from that, awesome. If not, there's a ton of podcasts out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well said, because I've listened to a few. I certainly haven't listened to 59, but I've listened to a few. And I think the word that comes to my mind is relatable. Mm-hmm. Like this doesn't feel like somebody who's put himself up on a pedestal and says, look how I've done it. Follow me. But rather, these are uh, the bumps that I've experienced along the way. Very humble. Um, and there's also some humor that I think is always really attracted, uh, attractive mm-hmm. to people. Um, and I listened to the podcast um, a while ago that actually you and Keith did together. And, and I felt like the conversation was just so natural. And, uh, and it compelled me to want to listen to the whole thing because I didn't feel like it was there was any posturing or positioning, which we oftentimes hear a lot of ego in podcasts, but I didn't get a sense of that at all. I wanted to listen. It was interesting. You were interesting. Keith, he's, you know, he's somewhat interesting. <laughs> Look, he walked uh, just to, he walked into my house, you know, drove in from Buffalo, lugged all of his podcasting gear into my house. And, and we literally sat at my kitchen table over a cup of coffee yeah. And had a conversation. And you know how much I dig that spontaneity. Um, it was great. It was just a conversation over a cup of coffee, and we just happened to have a couple of microphones in front of us. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my kind of going into it from day one was that's what I wanted. It's just people feeling yeah. like they're sitting at the table with Pull you. Pull a chair up, yep. right? right? Yeah. I want to highlight something you, you and I talked about really quickly before we came on the air, because I think it's so important. And uh, I think Lori will relate to this very much, is the comment you made to me about, wouldn't it be cool if, while in treatment, maybe a little bit more time was spent helping folks in treatment identify hobbies? Because this started out just as something, as you said, you were sitting in, in the room where you were getting treatment, talking with a buddy, this thing, idea about a podcast kicked up, and all of a sudden it has become not only a hobby, but, but a, really a life's work for you. Um, and so I just was wondering if you would talk a little bit more about that, because we could argue that a hobby could be a pathway of recovery in and of itself. Absolutely. I think um, that should really start maybe being, it was just kind of recently brainstorming, actually my most recent episode, um, I sat down with somebody in recovery, Jeremy Pager, his name is, I was at Horizon Village with him, and then eventually in an Oxford house, and he he brought up the teaching traits. What if we had an Oxford house where they taught them in order to live there, you had to learn plumbing and either a plumber or electrician or contracting work or something along those lines where you can learn to develop a job and feel connection and feel like, oh, I'm making a difference and not just a burden to society. And I find that's really what a lot of people that I've come across and talked to in recovery are missing is they, they do all this work on themselves and they get out and they're just like, I uh, don't know what to do. Where do I work? Where do I go? And I think developing that, for me, it's been photography. I got a lot of video equipment coming in with this grant and I want to start vlogging and stuff like that. So I was like, Vlogging? Well, yep. Is blogging. that a thing? Blogging, yeah. but videos. But yeah. video. That's a thing. <laughs> you have never heard of the word vlogging? Okay. Don't shame me. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> That is a thing. It yes, is it thing. is. And I'm starting one. It's so awesome. But, you know, that's so, I fell in love with just a camera. And since literally Thanksgiving, 
it's been a full time learning and watching and practicing. And I've just have fell in love with taking pictures of downtown, a lot of urban areas I love. And I just thought, I mean, this sometimes I'm walking around for four or five hours, exhausted at the end of the day. And just, I thought, wow, well, why aren't people going into rehabs and teaching stuff like photography, but musical lessons, whatever it is, plumbing, like, why isn't this implemented more? Mm. It's, I guess, obviously, earlier on, you're more of getting over some symptoms and a lot of um, post-acute withdrawal or whatever it may be. But, you know, in your longer-term rehabs, when you're there for two and a half, three months, and I feel like that's something that would be awesome to start implementing in a lot of places. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's another great example of how we have sort of established these random standards around what good recovery is and for a lot of people that means not working and yet we know when we truly meet people where they are and we offer multiple pathways of recovery for some people not working is actually far more problematic for them than actually Mm -hmm. working and working can start like yours as a hobby doing something that's interesting doing something that makes me feel like I have um, I have some skills I have some talents Um, Because for a long time, maybe they have felt like they don't. And so to build on some of those strengths and have them create things or, um, you know, work. When we were having this conversation, I was thinking of the story you always tell about that time when John was in treatment and he was told to put his guitar away. Yeah. The thing thing that mattered more to him than anything. And they said, no, that'll be a trigger. That's something you did when you used and you know what? It's just not that black and white. And who are we? Talk about treating somebody as an object versus as a resource in their recovery. Who are we to say or know uh, what another human being needs for their recovery? That's huge. I mean, I, that's what got me through rehab was I played guitar four to five hours a day with the free time. When I had free time, that's all I really did to the point where I annoyed people. But I was tired of going into every room and there was a TV on. Right. And so I feel like there needs to be more because not everybody does want to just sit in front of a television when they have some free time. And yeah, that's terrible to tell somebody what their triggers are. (laughs) I always think, I also think that (laughs) that's crazy. There's such a significant piece of recovery, recovery from anything that is about finding meaning or refinding meaning. Mm -hmm. And, and we find meaning in our hobbies and the things that we are passionate about and, and, Again, especially in the world of recovery, maybe there were aspects of our engagement with our hobby and or our job that at a moment in time didn't necessarily work for us in terms of playing a role in in continued substance use disorder. But to just carte blanche say, you got to let that go, you know, under the the old and somewhat antiquated people, places and things thing, it, it... it doesn't honor what we need, I think, as human beings in our life, which at the end of the day is anything I do, if it creates meaning, it's probably pretty good for me. Mm-hmm. Hobby, work, relationship, whatever. Yeah, I think I find that we kind of really almost take this reductionist point of view right. of recovery. Like this is like it's that simple. It's just a brain disease and that's it. Or right. We just take one point of view, and I mean, human beings are just not that simple. Right. Like you, I, I, I'm always amazed when we've had conversations, you and I, because as Lori can attest, I am not a detail person. Uh, and when you talk about the joy you get over editing your mm-hmm. podcast to an nth of their life, 
it, it just like for me, I think I, I wouldn't not have the attention to do that. <laughs> but when you talk about that, your face lights up and there's energy and clearly that is a passion and it's meaningful and it's artistic and creative and all of those things. Yeah, for some reason, everybody looks at me weird when I tell them I love editing. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> yeah. N- neither, Keith, or I have that strength or passion for the details. Thank God some humans do. do. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, now, now I'm starting video, so that's always going to be a fun one, too. So Yeah. So you mentioned a grant, that, and, and mm-hmm. it was in your, your bio. T- talk a little bit about that. Where did that come from? What is that money used for? How did you get it? I mean, that, that's pretty awesome to move your business forward with that. Yeah, so, I mean, it's awesome that substance use disorder is considered a disability. So that was able, that was opportunity for me to apply for this grant. Right. Um, it's with Access VR, and so they take people who have disabilities, and they really help them either. A lot of, usually it's, uh, we'll pay for you to go to electrician school, right. we'll pay for you to go to school, we'll find you a job, we can get you some to sneakers. To go to Recovery Coach University. <laughs> to go to Recovery Coach University. <laughs> And so, you know, they do things like that. And I think in my case, as far as like helping somebody start a business, it's only happened twice or very few times anyway. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah. So I had to go in front of the, you know, the president and a huge board of people and kind of show them a business plan. I had to create a business plan and do all that and kind of lay it out for them. And I mean, they accepted me which obviously, because I got the grant. Right. And yeah, I was really just kind of able to spend $11,000 on anything that, at least as long as it was related to my business. Right. So it was pretty, I mean, I was thinking yesterday how blessed I am and how fortunate and lucky I am because I literally got to spend almost eleven grand on audio recording equipment, video equipment, and it was just, it was awesome. I was really kind of just smiling, even though it was a test to my patience. I had to remind myself how blessed I am constantly waiting right. for the equipment to come. I was like a child again on Christmas Eve. But, yeah, it was really awesome to experience it. And, I, you know, I'm very fortunate and very humbled and, you know, excited for yeah, the future yeah. and what's coming because of this grant. He, he posted a picture on his LinkedIn yesterday of what Santa left for him that just, <laughs> that just arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, some new technology. Clearly very excited. Yes, very excited. Yeah. That is so cool. And for others to hear these possibilities exist out in our community. But you know what? They're not uh, waved in front of you on a silver platter. Like you have to work to find these mm-hmm. opportunities. And as you said, they don't just give it to anybody. So clearly they saw the commitment and the promise in you, or they would. They don't part with $11,000 that easily. No, no, they do not. You know, there's this, this quote that I, and I can't remember who said it. But it really didn't make much sense to me up until the last couple of years. And it was the harder I worked, the luckier I got. Mm-hmm. Or the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I was like, well, what does that mean? You're either lucky or you're not lucky. What does that mean? And yeah, when you work your butt off and you are, you know, going to the grind and getting the hustle done every day and really just working and networking and talking with people and just getting feels out there and working on your flaws and failing constantly and learning from those failures. I mean, opportunities start happening. People come around. You run into a person randomly that if you weren't at this point at the same exact time, you wouldn't have made this connection and it wouldn't have happened. But I mean, I got connected with Access VR because 
the CEO of Horizon Health loved my podcast and really wanted to support me and help me. And she got me connected with that. And I mean, there's just so many opportunities to come. And one of the biggest things for me, and I want to talk about this, was my whole kind of paradigm shift of being very pessimistic and negative Mm. to now I'm going to find positives and everything. And for me, that just totally switched my universe around in a 180 because I've all, you know, you always hear the glass half full or half empty is the same exact thing. And yeah, they're both true. But when you start taking a positive look, it A, keeps you from self-pity, which is a huge thing. I have found a benefit in everything other than self-pity. You don't do anything in self-pity. And that was something I did for most of my life after my brother and sister died when I was 15. I just walked around like the world owed me something and I shouldn't have to work hard for anything. And I just sat in self-pity. So when I got out of that, it really switched my whole world upside down as far as now I'm going to find positives. Oh, this sucks. What can I learn from it? How can I grow from it? And when you start doing that, just amazing things happen. I mean, you start getting in quotes lucky. so, So I'll be the pessimist here, okay? I'm the person who's listening who has gone through much of their life also seeing the glass half empty. And here you are talking about all of a sudden that that uh, switch flipped for me and I went to thinking very positively and shedding some of those negative victimization kinds of thoughts. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, that's that's the uh, the magic question. If we had an answer for that, everybody would be able to do it. <laughs> Is it an overnight thing? Is it I change one thought at a time? You know, I, I think for me to get out of self-pity, and this is really was the first point of where I can mark my change, thinking, I think, I was sitting in jail, and I started that guilt and that shame came into my gut, and where I started, like, wow, you are a really worthless piece of crap, just came into my head, and I said, I just almost visioned this fork in the road, and I said, if I keep going down this way, I'm never going to change nothing. If I keep looking at myself like this... And talking to myself like this, I'm going to never change anything. So if I go this way, you know, I can hopefully, at least at that time, I was like, hopefully I can become more positive and optimistic and start to love myself. And really where it started with me was I would catch myself in this train of thought. Sometimes it was eight, ten hours into it, negative thinking. Wait, why are you talking about yourself like this? But you also deserve love. You also deserve forgiveness and acceptance. And eventually that increment of time got smaller and smaller. And eventually I was catching myself getting into self-pity and poor me within, you know, minutes. Sometimes I could feel it before the thoughts even came that I was going to get into it. And it's, no, it doesn't happen overnight. It's, I mean, mental discipline of, you know, what am I going to do? Why am I talking to myself like this? I deserve this. And really I found if you knock over a cup of water and, you know, I would say, Sean, you idiot, I stop that. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you say something enough, you identify with it, whether it's negative or positive, you will identify with it. And I think that's super important to know, no matter, it just takes time. I mean, it could be three days of self-pity, but once you start catching yourself, I mean, that's that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Pretty wise. Pretty wise. Yeah. Right? Amazing what recovery brings into people's lives. It is, right? yeah. And the ability to tune into your own inner wisdom that was always there anyway, just you get to do something productive with it now. Yeah, I think that's that's a beautiful thing and one thing you guys really taught me and that I love. And it always has a very Eastern philosophical sense to it of, 
you know, everybody has their own answers and you just kind of have to guide them to them. Right. And it always reminded me of Eastern philosophy because I, for some reason, love Eastern philosophy. And, you know, the sages and the enlightened people, you know, wouldn't just give an answer when somebody would come and ask them, you know, how do they become enlightened? They didn't just tell you how. They would tell you, show you the pathway to find your own way to realize it. Because somebody can tell me something all they want, but if I don't learn it and know it myself, I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I'll never accept it. So right. you have right. to find your own answers. And I love that concept of, yeah, every, yeah. everybody has their own answers. So thank you, you so, too. So that. for folks who are listening who've gone through the training, they know they have this mantra because we say it so often, which is the answer is in the room and you don't have it. Mm-hmm. So great segue. You went through the recovery coach training and got your certification, I believe. And so what's, are you doing anything with it? What you know, what were your major takeaways from it? How are you applying it in your life, maybe in your podcasts or in your interactions with others in recovery? Yeah, I think, I mean, the motivational interviewing, you know, all those typical things that you guys teach that are super important have also helped me in my hosting and really just letting somebody guide their own questions, their own you know, responses to questions, whatever it is, help them kind of guide. And it's really, it's kind of cool to watch how I can almost see a change in my hosting skills as around when I was in your classes taking them. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was always kind of cool to watch. For me, as far as implementing my SERPA and everything else into my business, it's kind of really has been probably one of my biggest challenges um, getting the 50 hours or 500 hours, I should say, and the supervised hours have been kind of a challenge with certain companies. And that's something I'm still kind of working till working on. It's eventually down the line. I've visioned myself, you know, offering that as a service for my company. I'm about to start doing like 20 hours a week for a, a company in Western New York, part-time coaching to continue to get to my 500 hours. For some reason, I haven't understood it. I was just talking to Keith about it. My background and record have actually put up roadblocks mm. a lot, which is bizarre to me because most people who are recovery coaches are, um, you know, experienced in recovery themselves. So. Yeah, it's actually a <laughs> big part of the part credentials. Of the, yes. So I've always thought that was kind of strange that that's what's held me up a lot in a lot of places. Yeah, because it shouldn't be. Good old New York State. Yeah, right. So, so that kind of leads to the, the question you and I talked about the other day of, of your vision for Room 9. So it's five, ten years down the road. Uh, you and Room 9 are, are doing what? Yeah, this is like I told you yesterday, the other day, Keith, this is another one I stole from you. I end a lot of podcasts <laughs> with this. I reworded it so it looked like it was my own creative thing. But Trust I me, I just stole it from a million other people. <laughs> yeah, so I guess where I'm headed now is and kind of them talk about how I, New York state, how I just kind of threw a jab at them, which they're doing awesome things. And I, you know, I like to talk about how much change has been done because there has been a lot done, mm-hmm. but there's still a long, long ways to go. No and question. I was working with a treatment provider and they were, they applied for this grant that talked about doing vlogging and talked about really doing YouTube stuff and, you know, getting, interacting with people and the clients on the internet and doing stuff like that. And she, they were gonna pay me almost a full-time wage if they got the grant, that's what it was um, really based on. And they didn't get the grant. And 
it was kind of frustrating because it really made me think about how I feel like New York State is just, and maybe other states, I guess I can only speak for the state I live in, are so far behind with that. Like, why isn't there more vlogging stuff out there on YouTube or blogs being written or just websites dedicated to that? So I guess to answer your question, ultimately, I will keep the podcast going because I love that. I eventually want to um, involve video and podcasting and kind of throw that up there like you guys got the Facebook Live thing going and stuff like that. But I want to just, again, just really continue documenting my recovery and do things like that. But now I want to add video into it. And I would love to, an idea, for instance, this summer and spring is to go record some fun, sober activities to do, you know, down at the waterfront and in Buffalo or wherever it may be and throw them out there and give just kind of spark ideas for people and again, do video recordings of, you know, maybe one day I'm really struggling with shame or guilt, right? you know, or my kids live in Florida after my divorce. So I'm far away and that's always a tough time. And, you know, maybe throw that out there. What's it like, you know, being a long distance parent or whatever it is that the things I struggle with really just kind of just add the video aspect into it. Right. I really want to do that. I also am going to be starting a big project with Evergreen Health Services, and we are going to film somebody who uses their services, kind of follow them around for a day, and then show what their life's like outside of their company and what's it like, the services that they receive there. So I'm going to be doing like kind of mini documentary things Mm, and all sorts of fun, good stuff like that. So I really envision myself staying that, kind of that bridge still between the treatment provider and the people who use their services and, and really just be that communication. Yeah. And so here's something I've learned in the last five years working with New York State, and that is they're really very open to new ideas and innovations. And I think sometimes we're kind of waiting for somebody else to push it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because one grant wasn't approved, don't lose heart. Um Oasis is a pretty amazing organization um, that is looking for trailblazers to help pave the way using new technologies, using new mediums to reach people, Um, and Friends of Recovery New York, which is the largest um, advocacy agency in the state of New York, also um, very open to, you know, some of the innovative use of technology. They both want to reach um, the changing population mm-hmm. and meet them where they are and and meet their needs so but it means you know those of us with our you know boots on the ground right. we've got to be the trailblazers out there and 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 ask but my experience is that they actually listen and this is a a plug that advocacy day in albany is coming up um i i thought i thought it was in march but i just learned recently that it's actually february 11th 10th or 11th I'll take your word on it. <laughs> um, you can go to the Friends of Recovery New York website and uh, and register for that. But that's a day when you get to go and walk around and meet with your legislators, meet with state legislators, and tell your story and ask for what we need. And they're listening because we vote. Right. And especially when we show up in numbers. So I want to encourage everybody to find their voice, get on a bus, get in a carpool, and get your behinds to Albany on February 10 or 11. <laughs> uh, dates aren't my thing. I we do probably think should find out the date. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out the date. It's always a Tuesday. So whichever day is a Tuesday that week is is the day. And uh, and maybe, Sean, you would even like to go and advocate for some of this. And or, just popped into my head, and or videotape. 
Because yeah. as I'm listening to your vision for go. Room 9, I, you know, I find myself thinking we need, we need a mechanism out there that sheds light on recovery and does it in many of the ways you've talked about in the last hour, that it's a real conversation, it's a spontaneous conversation, it's not scripted, it's evidence-based, it's based on the latest thinking of what we now understand about recovery and change. Um, I don't know how much of that is out there yet in, in either blog form or vlog form or, or any other kind of video format, but that storytelling part of who, what recovery is, who people are that are, that are impacted by substance use disorder, who family members are. I was struck as you talked about doing your, your podcast with your family. That, I would think, is wide open and is such a need. Yeah, and I know Friends of Recovery New York is very open to putting content onto their mm-hmm. uh, website and Facebook page. They just have to know about it. Like crazy, they actually have our radio show on their website. Um, they want to connect with people in recovery across the state. And it's a what you're introducing here is a wonderful medium for connecting, certainly outside of the Buffalo area, across the state and beyond. Yeah, well, that's that's the goal. So, I mean, it's awesome looking at my analytics. And I've actually have had this conversation with this person in Japan who has listened to my podcast a couple of times. And it's kind of funny how our conversations have sparked. But he recently was told he had to stop drinking. Mm. And it's just so amazing how it all works. So, like, I, it's awesome to think about somebody in China, Australia, have had some downloads. Other side of the world. Listening to my recovery. And it's so awesome to be able to get that out there. But... To, I mean, to kind of respond to that, Lori, I am have my boots on the ground and I am farther ahead. People are going to have to keep up with room nine. So because <laughs> we're going another comment from our, our good friend and listener, Brenda, a wonderful insight into yourself and a beautiful transformation. You can hear the passion in your voice. Was Brenda on the show here? I don't think Brenda has no. ever been on our show, but she is a very, very regular listener, Loyal which listener. we so appreciate. Good. Yeah. It's awesome being a. It's awesome being on this side of the microphone and not have the pressure of hosting. <laughs> and it's awesome seeing uh, the actual room I watch when I get to oh, watch that's you right. guys. Yes, because you are a loyal listener too. Yeah, as right? much as I can. Yeah, I try yeah. to get on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Any last thoughts, questions for Sean? No, I'm just so glad to have you on here. This won't be the last time for no. sure. We're we're going to be you know following you and. And, you know, looking for opportunities to collaborate and um, mm-hmm. help support you in what you're doing, which is uh, amazing. And just want to thank you for being here today on our show. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. I do want to try to figure out a time with all of our business schedules and do a podcast with the both of you. I think yeah, that would be we'll awesome. We'll make that happen. Too. Let's do it. We'll make that happen. I think that would be cool. Yeah. It, yeah. it You know, for me, it's a, it's a pleasure having met you. Uh, in a room where you were there to start your training and to uh, have this become a part of who you are and to watch this and uh, what you're building here. Uh, And so for those that are are listening and are curious about Sean in Room 9, in a few minutes, I think at about two or three minutes after noon, on our Facebook page, Recovery Coach University, the link for Sean's uh, website will pop up. Uh, with all the information about his podcast and how to get in touch with him. Uh, I would imagine if people have ideas of, of folks who might be an interesting podcast mm-hmm. listen, that they uh, should feel welcome to uh, reach out to you and uh, make a connection. Yeah, I'm always open 
for for that always looking and networking for people to have on the show so this is a challenging time for a lot of our listeners um and you know given that it is the holidays it is a difficult time for families as well and we just want to encourage you to stay close stay close to each other um use some of these amazing resources you know tune in to some of uh, the podcasts from Room 9, they may offer you a lot of love and support during uh, a difficult time. You know, reach out to us. We do family recovery-supported training uh, once about every other month. We just uh, did a class this past week uh, on Saturday, and we've got another one coming up in February. Um, it's a time for families to really learn how they can absolutely make make a difference in in the recovery of their loved ones and um we just want to be there to support you yeah beautiful sean cudahy room nine thank you so much for coming in and being uh sitting in with us this morning yeah thanks for having me and thank you you too because you guys are both awesome too well thank and you i don't know if you're told that enough but you are and you guys have really have helped me grow as an individual and i'm very grateful for that Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you so much. As Lori said, we'll, we'll keep this conversation going because I have a feeling you're going places with this thing. Sounds good. All right, partner. This is this was fun. It? Is this it before the big uh, Christmas celebration? This is it, Day? right? Is so it? this yeah. is our last uh, uh, minute and 15 seconds. <laughs> of, of the year? Of the year. Of the year. Yeah. So yeah. we will still have recorded shows on for the next... Well, no, no. I'm, I'm probably yeah. going to be here next week. Oh, you it's will be. It's a couple be. of days okay. after Christmas, yeah. and we're, we'll probably just hang out and chat and talk cool. a little bit about being thankful and planning for the following year and visioning and have some ideas for next week. So people are more than welcome to, to so join us next week. So let's encourage people to actually pick up the phone and call in because we have that capability. It was really important for us when we decided to do our show here. Call in. We'll get you on the radio with your questions. We'll have a dialogue. Yes. When, when I say we, I mean you because yeah. I won't be <laughs> you here. You will not be here. Um, but, you know, texting and comments on Facebook are great. But let's have some live phone calls. Yeah. So we'll be back next week. So, John, we're going to uh, – Invite David Grohl and the Foo Fighters back into the studio. Okay. To uh, take us out. So everybody, you have been listening to Recovery Coach University Radio. Thank you to all our friends in Facebook Live Universe. Lori, have a wonderful holiday. And we will...